Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, friends. Welcome to the Tennis and Bagels podcast. Um, as you all might know, we're recording this on Monday, uh, right after Manic Monday just ended. The last of the Manic Mondays that we will see at Wimbledon going forward, because in 2022, Wimbledon is getting rid of the tradition where they don't play any tennis on the middle Sunday. And so we will no longer have this crazy day of tennis where we have so many matches going on at the same time. But nonetheless, Owen and I followed it as much as we possibly could. And we're back at it with another podcast right after the day ended. So Owen, how do you feel today after all that tennis? I'll tell you, I'm pretty tired. I watched a lot of tennis today and a lot of it was good, but I am wiped out right now. How are you? Yeah, I feel exactly the same. Like, I just want to, you know, I just feel like I need a day off <laughs> just to kind of digest everything and all the results. And which sounds crazy because we had a whole day. Of, whole we just day had off a day yesterday. off. Yeah, <laughs> right. But it just, I think uh, it speaks to just how much there is in the, um, there is at this stage of the event and for it to all happen all at the same time, all at, all at once, kind of not enough time to digest and consume all of it. It just feels like, um, it's good that they're going they're um, going away from a tradition next year. Yes, I completely agree. This is too many great matches happening on the same day. Um, like I said, I watched pretty much the entire day, and at one point, I think we had we had both number ones playing at the same time, Barty and Djokovic. And I think at that time, we also had the number two on the ATP side, Medvedev, playing a match. And it's just too many high quality clashes when you get to the fourth round to schedule all at the same time. So I'm very glad yeah. that they're getting rid of this tradition because there are so many like good matchups, but you don't know where to turn. It's all day. It's unrelenting. And even if you follow everything or try to, you will miss a lot. So I'm looking forward to this. Yeah. Yeah. You, you pretty much said everything I wanted to say there. Sorry. Um, and it, it does make sense that, uh, you know, you split up the good matches into two days and you have, you know, half of them being played on middle Sunday and then you, so that we can actually follow all of it and give a good analysis on, you know, on, on all round of 16 matches and, you know, have all of our attention focused on, on all of them because they all deserve to be there. and They're all great stories and we want to be able to cover it all, but it's just really difficult to do so. So we'll try our best. Let's just go. Let's just go um, cover as much as we can, I guess. But let's just start with the with the, on the men's side. Let's start with Djokovic Garin. What did you make of Djokovic today, and how do you assess his performance and his chances? I guess going forward. I think this match really isn't indicative of much. I think so. First of all, I'll say Garin got to the fourth round by a pretty easy route, uh, thanks to TikTok tennis on Twitter. I know that he didn't play anyone in the top hundred in his first three rounds. And his mm-hmm. returning performance today was sort of shambolic. He only won 13 points on the return, zero for two on break points. Uh, so this one was never close. He 
had a couple of chances in the second set, but the first, the first set and the third set were blowouts. Um, this one of the parts I watched was not an especially fun watch. Yeah, um, I, I, I must admit I didn't get to watch a lot of it, but I saw um, the the parts that I did watch. It did seem like Novak was serving extremely well. I mean, he hardly lost any points on his first serve. Yeah, ninety two percent of he lost, points won. Yeah, like lost three points on his serve on his first serve the whole match, which is just um, outstanding. And I guess Garin gave himself a few looks at early chances in the second set when he he had a few. Um, uneasy moments when he was trying to hold, but it never really felt like Djokovic was going to be in any kind of trouble today. Is that kind of what you thought? Yeah, I agree. He did exactly what he needed to. Um, Served pretty well. I honestly didn't think overall he looked that sharp, but that's completely fine because he didn't need to be. And and I guess I'll take this opportunity to say, on Twitter I saw a lot of um, comments that Djokovic is getting an easy draw. And I think to an extent Mm -hmm. that's true. yeah. So far, he hasn't played anyone who can push him. And because of that, I've seen a lot of comments saying that this is a weak era. And I think to an extent, mm-hmm. those comments might be warranted. But I think it's also important to keep in mind that for Djokovic, it may not matter because he has shown that he can dominate when the tour is super strong like he did in 2011. And in 2015, the tour was reasonably strong as well, although not as much so. And so I think it's okay to be a little annoyed that he's not playing anyone who can push him. But I think to sort of extrapolate from that and say like, oh, he would never be winning uh, this many titles in a stronger era, I think is a big assumption to make and probably not a smart one to make. So I just wanted to get that out there. Yeah, no, you, I mean, I mean you, you're absolutely right. I mean, I understand why people are saying that and I understand the, you know, I understand the, the frustration for the other fan groups, obviously, behind that. But I do think Djokovic has earned it, uh, given how, given the strong opposition that he's played in, you know, in most of the majors that he's won. And I mean, you know, you can only really play who's in front of you. And, um, you know, if none of the top seeds get to the section where he's supposed to be play him, then, and um, it just so happens that the draw works out like that. Um, and for Djokovic, is, Djokovic has proven so much that he can play against pretty much every opponent on, on any surface. And he's usually the favorite in every match he enters, especially the last two or three years, you know, apart from when he's playing Nadal at Roland Garros. So from that standpoint, it doesn't really matter, you know, the kind of route or path that he um, that he has on his on 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 the way to the final. Yeah, exactly. Another part of it is just that he matches up well with everyone, and so from that standpoint, mm-hmm. his early round matches might not be the most fun to watch, but you can't fault him for that. And also, um, I mean, if you look at say 2013 in the Australian Open, he got Burdich in the quarters, who some people are saying. Um, or probably feeling is a lot stronger than some players in this era, but Djokovic did so well against mm-hmm. Burdich, um, crushed him in that match, yeah. 25 and three against him overall. And so to an extent from like the first round to the fourth round, it really doesn't matter who he's playing. Uh, he barely loses in these rounds. Sometimes he'll lose sets, but it's, it rarely matters. So I think, um, yeah. I think again, it's okay to be sort of annoyed that he's not being pushed, but to say that because of that, like he's getting lucky or that this is a weak era, I think is a bit of a stretch. Yeah, definitely. And I guess, uh, you know, the guy he was supposed to play, um, if the seeds were slated as such in the next round in the quarters, was uh, Andre Rublev. He was trying to become, uh, trying to make it four quarterfinals uh, in his career at, and won at every major. And he was up against a guy who he'd, has, he'd had his number against uh, all year. He was 3-0 and against Martin Fuksovic. And 
Today, he was two sets to one up. But Marton Fuksovic showed his experience and his, I guess, ability, his uh, wider toolkit to come through in this match in five sets, winning the last two sets, 6-0, 6-3. And he will now face Djokovic in the quarterfinals. Um, how surprising was that result for you? I was pretty surprised. I mean, I'm really, really happy for Fuzovic because I think losing to the same player repeatedly would be painful. And so I'm impressed that he was sort of able to overcome the difficulties with the matchup and probably the mental block that came with it and win this match. Mm-hmm. Um, I do think that playing someone this many times in a year, especially if you're losing to them repeatedly, it can be really tough and it can be bad luck. But I also think that it starts to present a bigger and bigger opportunity the more you lose to them. And by winning this match, which was bigger than any of the other ones they played this year. In my opinion, a round of 16 match at a major is bigger than uh, the final of a 500. And um, and Fusevich, like came up with the goods. He was down two sets to one and then won nine games in a row, so found a pretty amazing peak there. So fourth set bagel, and then three games ended up being the difference in the fifth set. So that was the decisive passage of play in this one. And yeah, he'll go on to play Djokovic. And I actually think that he'll be the tougher matchup for Djokovic than Rublev. Rublev has never played Djokovic before. I think the first time anyone plays Djokovic is going to be brutal because he does everything so well, doesn't give anything for free. Whereas Fusevich has played him a couple times, won a set both times they've played. Uh, those matches have had their nervy moments, so I think he can do some damage where Rublev it's a bit more of a question mark, even though he is seated fifth in this tournament. Yeah, absolutely, and you know, they've never played before, but I've always kind of imagined that, you know, a quarterfinal meeting wouldn't quite be as um, competitive as a lot of people were were saying before the tournament. But I guess uh, something that Fukchevitz did really well in this match was just kind of use his court craft. And he has a very good backhand slice that he used very effectively in this match. And he drew Rublev into the net. And Rublev was 13 out of 24 points won at the net. Um, and every time the opportunity presented itself, he always, Martin always produced good approach shots. He came forward. He, he, uh, backed up his first serve. Well, he, he played safe for tennis in big moments. Uh, whereas Rublev had a kind of an off forehand day and he made a few more unforced errors than he normally does. And his first serve percentage kind of wavered, especially in the fourth and fifth. And then it just looked like the experience of Martin and the position of having been of having been in fourth rounds of majors repeatedly and giving himself that opportunity. It's nice to see that it finally paid off for him and he can definitely play on grass because he won the juniors at Wimbledon back in 2011. So um, in some ways it's a very good surface for him. And I do think he, he possesses a different kind of a challenge to Djokovic and probably a tougher one than I imagine Rublev would have. Um, and they've played twice before, and I, and uh, they played once at the U.S. Open in the first round, and you know that was a competitive four-set match, which ended with a bagel for Djokovic, but it wasn't without its stressful and doubtful moments. And then they played once after that, and it was six-four in the third in Doha in 2019 for Djokovic. So I think um, this was a well-deserved victory for Fuksovic. Yeah, definitely. And I think Rublev actually didn't serve too badly. He served at 68% compared to Fusevich's 56%. But the difference mm-hmm. was on those first serve points, Fusevich won 90% of the points and Rublev was only at 64%. Um, and so I think also on the return, he didn't do as much as he could have. Fusevich double faulted 10 times. 
Um, yeah. And that accounted for over a quarter of the return points won for Rublev. So I think he'll be a little disappointed with that. The net points are not that surprising. This has been an issue for him. And I think on grass, it's just going to become more glaring because um, finishing points at net is a better option on grass than it is usually on the other surfaces. So I think that's something that he should continue looking to develop. Uh, but yeah. I mean, he made it farther than he did at Roland Garros. This was not the first time he's played Wimbledon, right? Yeah. Um, I believe he, he didn't play it in 2019 if I'm not okay. mistaken. Okay. So, yeah. So, so fourth round so, on like either his first yeah. or second time playing a Wimbledon main draw, like that's, that's mm-hmm. very good. So he can look forward to yeah. the hard courts and get some good results there. I'm sure. Yeah, I'm sure. And usually hard courts is where he plays some of his uh, his best tennis. Mm-hmm. Um, like on the indoor hard courts, where he can just go after his first forehand and serve works very effectively and he can kind of just use his his forehand and do damage inside out, inside in. And kind of the patterns are just a lot more clear for him. And um, against an opponent like this, and, you know, best of three sets, I still think, you know, he has to work out some things in his game and, you know, add a little bit more variety when when shots like the serve and the, you know, forehand or the return kind of don't work in his favor. But I think that's just a work in progress. And I think he'll he'll get there and he he's definitely um in the conversation for um for big titles to win. Yeah, I, I think and uh just just another thing is, you know, in two years he's def- he's definitely improved a lot to get to the top eight Definitely. because he, he, you know, he played this tournament in 2019 and he lost to Sam Corey in the second round, which is, I guess it's not a, it's not a bad loss considering Sam Corey got to the quarters. And so he was able to win one match, but still doesn't quite have the same, just like some of his other peers doesn't have the same experience on, on grass. And, you know, I guess he, he can be happy with the final in Halle and getting to the fourth round second week here. And he gave himself a chance to get to another quarterfinal. Yeah. Yeah. So I think all things considered, he'll be disappointed, but this isn't that bad of a loss. Um, mm-hmm. If we want to move on to uh, Roger Federer against Lorenzo Sonego, which was a 7 yeah. 5 6 4 6 2 win for Federer, who is um, going for a 21st major title and ninth Wimbledon title, um, as unrealistic as it may seem. Um, I thought, so I didn't see all of this match, but I saw sort of chunks of it. And, um, I thought until he so, so he was up five four and five three served for the first yeah. set five four and played a bad game to drop um drop serve yeah. there but I think with the exception of that he looked quite good um yeah yeah I mean he was only broken yeah, once I, um and besides that took care of proceedings quite well yeah I think I, I think you know kind of the the first ten four to I, I want to say ten games he was kind of evaluating Sonigo, kind of calibrating him, seeing what, uh, seeing that, realizing that he has a lot of firepower from the ground and this was, and, uh, but he was always giving himself chances to break the Sonigo serve. And once he finally did at three all, it kind of just came and Sonigo played kind of a bad game, but Federer was sharp. He, he was uh, serving well. He, he seemed to be moving a lot better. Certainly as the tournament has gone, gone along, his forehand has gotten a lot better and sharper. Absolutely, uh, and he's he's much more clinical. I, I saw a stat actually that since that since the Manorino win, you know, I mean, every time he hits a serve, eighty seven percent of the next ball, the incoming ball after the serve is a forehand. 
So he's doing really good damage off the first forehand after the serve, and that's key for Federer to find that range on those two shots, the serve and the forehand, um, on grass where he can then dictate and then he can use his all the options that he has and come forward. And he was very good at the net today, came in on every look, every short ball that he had, um, took took the ball early and actually was playing quite well uh, on the defensive as well and returning much, much better, absorbing the pace of Sonego because I think Sonego also has a pretty good serve himself and he was getting a good job at he was doing a good job of getting getting it back deep and not just not doing too much with it, but just blocking it back, using Sonego's pace, bringing him forward, and then he hit a couple of really good passing shots to stay in the game at five all actually because at five all yeah. Sonego was up forty love, and Federer found his way all the way back to Deuce, and eventually you know the rain came in and they stopped at break point, but then uh, when the roof closed they resumed and Sonego double faulted and ever since that double fault really. It's almost like Federer just found a whole nother gear, and he took it, took his level up to a few notches. This was his best performance, I think, of the year, and best performance of the tournament because he went up another level after the Cam Nori win and Gasquet win, and I think he's really played himself into form nicely. And you can see uh, why he's won eight Wimbledon. Not that we needed a reminder, but I guess right. yeah. you know now is when. Uh, it it really gets tough because now he has to likely play Daniel Medvedev, yes. who's in a battle with uh, her catch as we speak, and that's the only match on the men's side that hasn't finished yet. But as we speak, uh, Medvedev is up two sets to one and trailing three four in the fourth. So um, you know we'll see how that turns out on Wednesday. But I guess for Federer, he's uh, I would say met the expectations of. Uh, of most people by getting to the quarters in this tournament. He's held his seat at number six. And I think, um, yeah, he'll, he'll be pretty happy with how this match went. Yeah, I think so too. And I think a big thing is he's going to be fresh as well. This wasn't a taxing match. And so even though he can get Medvedev next, and I think Medvedev would be a favorite in that matchup, Federer can do some serious, serious damage. I don't actually think Medvedev has played all that well this tournament so far. And so while I think he would still be the favorite just by virtue of how well he defends, how well he can return and how big his serve is going to be. I think he just has too many ways to hurt this version of Federer, but all the same, we know how high Federer, like how high his ceiling can be on grass. And um, so I think he's got an opportunity to win a couple sets there at least. So um, it was a really good day for the Canadians. Uh, two of them are into the quarterfinals. Uh, the first was Denis Shapovalov, who beat the really solid Batista Agut 6-1, 6-3, which was very impressive. He saved uh, 10 of 12 break points, hit 16 aces. Um, and I actually thought he would lose this match, but he did a really good job of dictating play in the couple games that I saw. And it looks like he was always in control of this one. And so this is starting to feel like sort of a breakout major for him because he's got Hotchinov next, who he can totally beat. He's seated 15 spots higher. Hotchinov just played a 10-8 in the fifth, so could be tired. And I think form-wise, Shapo is in better shape as well. So he could be looking at a first major semifinal here, which is a big step. What do you think, Vaughn? Yeah, I totally agree. I was very, very impressed by his... Uh performance i think you said it well when you said he was in control because i think uh this match he played he really did well on his terms i think the score um doesn't do justice to actually how close the second and third sets were because there was a stage in that second set where actually shapovalov found himself down uh three all serving at love 40 and he did a 
incredible job uh, under pressure in this match when he was down break points. I felt like, you know, we know we knew that Shapo always has the tools and he can hit, you know, incredible winners and he's got he can set up points really well. He has all the weapons. His forehand can do damage. His serve can do a decent amount of damage. He's always looking to come to the net. But I think what he lacks sometimes is he doesn't give himself enough margin on his ground strokes. And he really has done that very well in his last two matches. He's playing safe, um, controlled aggression and hitting to big targets, which I think is key. He's not aiming for lines. And against Bautista Agut, who likes to hit many of his backhands cross-court. I think this was actually a very good matchup for him because he was able to take many forehands down the line, um, make Batista good uncomfortable by um, attacking his second serve, by rushing Batista good, taking his time away, coming to the net, using the angles with his forehand, and then setting up um, shots into the open court uh Good was doing a lot of running in this match and Shapovalov was the one really dictating and I think Batista Good didn't play his best tennis he wasn't as consistent as he would have probably liked to be but nonetheless um every time he a- asked the questions Shapovalov always always had an answer and I think that bodes really well for him um moving forward and he comes up against Hachinov who just played a 10-8 in the fifth set against uh Korda which I actually watched a lot of uh, that fifth set, but it's a very, very winnable match for him. And I think he, he would be a pretty big favorite in that match based on the way things are going right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't have much to add to that. I think Shafo also had a really good returning day while Batista Agut had a bad serving day. He won less mm-hmm. than half of his serving points altogether, which on grass is pretty ridiculous uh, in a bad way. And if you do that in the fourth round of Wimbledon, then you are going to lose comfortably, and that's exactly what happened. So I think even though he didn't have a good serving day, it's encouraging for Chapeau that he could do that much damage on the return because that usually is not considered a strength of his at all. So, Yeah, and, um, you know, I think it, you know, I think his return is something that, uh, you know, the the path that he's faced, he hasn't had to go through a really big server, and I think that's, you know, something that's one of the reasons why I think he's felt pretty comfortable, but he's also made some adjustments. He hasn't, it's still, um, it's still something definitely in his game that he needs to improve and work on. But I guess it's, it's a work in progress and everything else he seems to be performing pretty well. And he's done, I think it, I think what helped him a lot is actually not playing the French Open. I think that was a pretty smart decision in hindsight to save that shoulder and look at the bigger picture and, since he made the finals of Geneva and lost to Casper Ruud, he's had a pretty good, consistent last few weeks. And so I think uh, Canadians can be pretty happy with this victory. And I guess while we're talking about Canadians, we can also bring up that Felix um, just pulled off a pretty big upset today against the number four seeds, Zverev. And, you know, after winning the first two sets from two, four down in each of the sets um, and, uh, you know, he seemed to be in control of this match. But then um, Alexander Zverev started coming back and he won the next two sets. And he Felix went up a break in the fifth, but then Zverev got it back. And then Felix eventually broke him um, at three all in the fifth. And then he was able to hold his nerve and close it out. I thought it was a very 
big step forward for Felix to make his first major quarterfinal and do it against someone with that much experience in a five-set match. Yeah, I think if I'm not mistaken, Felix made a quarterfinal at the U.S. Open against his team in 2020. But I think this was definitely getting there in more impressive fashion. I was really impressed with his big point play uh, at the end of the second set tie break. I think he faced a, I think he faced a set point, and um, mm-hmm. at six all, he hit a great half volley that led to an easy smash winner. And then in the last game, I thought he held his nerve really well. And after um, losing a two set lead, it's um, one of the most mentally poised performances I've seen from him. So I think um, that was very encouraging. Uh, I think he could do a lot of damage on grass like in the future in his career. I think it's going to be a good surface for him. And um, especially because the rest of the tour is probably, it's a less favorable surface for most of them. So I think in the future he can potentially win at Wimbledon. Yeah, um, and definitely some of his best results have come on grass. It seems to have been his most consistent surface. Um, I believe he's played 24, 23 matches on the surface overall in his whole career, which is not that many, but he's won 18 of them. Yeah. And so that's that's a very good good record. And he's now beaten Federer and Halle and then beaten Zverev here. And, you know, it must be said that Zverev did serve 20 double faults, including eight in the first set and they all came in, a lot of them came in bunches where he, one game where he hit three in a row. And, um, you know, I mean, we don't mind one. Bit. Nonetheless, uh, nonetheless, you know, Felix took full advantage and he completely earned this victory and he seemed to be in control every time uh, with the serve in the forehand. And he executed it well and uh, he got he got the deserved win. And now he plays against Matteo Berrettini in the next round who cruised through Ivashka so quickly that I didn't see any of that match. Yeah, I didn't see any of it either, so we can skip right over that. And um, yeah. and yeah, that leads us to the, the last one we didn't really talk about is Hachinov and Korda, which I only saw mm-hmm. a couple of games of in the fifth set, but it became an absolute breakfast. There were a lot of nerves. There was a lot of bad serving, good returning. Hachinov served yeah. for it like three times and eventually got it done on his fourth time. Korda's probably biggest chance was probably when he got to return for the match at 8-7 up, but mm-hmm. Ochenov came up with a clutch hold and eventually got it done. It was a crazy end to the match. Yeah, I thought it was absolutely crazy and entertaining and gripping in that in that fifth set because neither guy could really hold their nerve every time they went up a break or if they were ahead because Korda was also up 2-love in the first set, and 2-love uh, in the fifth and 3-1 in the fifth before Hachinov started coming back and then he led by a break and then um there wasn't really that much separating the two overall in the whole match even to get to the fifth set so it was uh the fifth set was the only way to decide this outcome and I I really had thought it would go all the way to 12 all uh based on the way it was going and I think 14 of the I think there were total 13 breaks uh in the in that fifth set which is just crazy mm-hmm. on grass with um with these two both at six five and six six, who can who normally serve much better than they were at that moment. But I guess a lot was on the line, and it was out on court eighteen. Um, something that you know, Corda, I've always said, um, is the best American prospect. And today was his twenty first birthday, and he was playing the biggest match of his life. And I think one thing that let him down was his first serve in big in in that fifth set because. Some an area of his game that he'll definitely need to polish against the best players in the world yeah. is the serve because I think he can he can improve his directionals on it. Um, 
and he can it can definitely become faster in terms of speed and so i think that's definitely one area where he will look to improve and capitalize on but nonetheless he's proven that he can play on every surface and this was a great week for him to get to the fourth round of Wimbledon. And for Hatchinov, he really had to battle a lot of demons um, because he's been in fourth rounds many times, but um, oftentimes he's lost a lot of close matches as of late or he's um, come up short in some some matches where, you know, we thought he would he would come through, especially after Paris 2018, uh, winning that Masters title, beating four top 10 players in a row. And I think, uh, you know, he'll be the underdog in the quarterfinals against Shapovalov, but mm-hmm. a really big step for him to have now made a French Open quarterfinal in 2019 as well as a Wimbledon quarterfinal. I think it says a lot when you can play on both the natural surfaces yeah, in the best of five set format. And um, and I think Corda is the best ATP American prospect in a while. Um, I think, yeah. and I think he proved that. I mean, he um, he's the last one in the draw on the ATP side, and. Um, I mean, he beat out Fritz, uh, Tiafo, um, Isner, uh, Kudla, a um, bunch of others. So I think this is really encouraging for him. Like you said, he can play on all surfaces. Um, I think for Hotchinoff, this is quite encouraging because this is his best run at a major in some time. And so, and I think mm-hmm. he really needed this. He's the 25th seed, but it doesn't, it almost feels like he's unseated um, based on how. Uh, spotty his results have been before this tournament so i think this is exactly what the doctor ordered for him um do you want to move on to the wta side yes and uh just one quick correction i'd like to make also uh something that you said earlier Mm -hmm. which is uh this is a big uh big result for felix because it is his first major quarterfinal Um, okay i think the u.s open was was that a fourth round round of 16 okay yeah (laughs) But but nonetheless, yeah, pretty big, pretty big step uh, for for the for both the Canadians. And good to see them doing well after, uh, you know, not not having the best results in the early part of the season. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. But yeah, let's talk a little bit about the women's now. Um, all the matches that took place. I guess we can start with the number one seed, um, Ash Barty, who took out Barbora Krajikova today. Uh, yeah. The 2021 French Open champion. She's on a 15. She was on a 15 match winning streak, and this was expected to be a really good clash. And it definitely was in the first set. Um, Krajikova was up a break, but Barty came storming back, and um, now the great run of Barbora has has come to an end, and Barty is in the quarterfinals. What did you make of it? Yeah, I mean, first of all, it really was a great run. I think it's impressive. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. 
Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Of that she lasted this long physically. Um, and this match was competitive, especially the first set. So um, total kudos to Krijikova for you know, winning singles and doubles at Roland Garros, then coming right to Wimbledon and making quite a good run here as well. So, um, so her run is over, but she is absolutely nothing to be ashamed of. And I think she did give Barty a scare. She was up a break early in the match. And I think, mm-hmm. I, I think she may have had a chance at a double break as well, but then Barty got on, got back on serve at four all. And, um, and Krajikova got a good hold at four or five, uh, staved off some big points there. But, um, but then Barty broke to take the first set. And I really didn't see much of the second, but it doesn't look like it was as competitive. So I think, um, I, I mean, I did see Barty's celebration after though, and it was as pumped as I have ever seen her after a win. She, um, huge fist pump and a yell. So I think that speaks to how big this one felt for her. Um, she hasn't been at her best so far this tournament, but I thought she looked pretty good from what I saw after she got the break back in the first and when she was fighting to get that break back. So despite the slow start, I think this is quite an encouraging result for her. Yeah, it's very encouraging for her because to get to the to get to her first ever quarterfinals on grass, it's pretty surreal when you think about it because of all the skills that Barty has. Yeah. You know, she's such a good all-round player and especially the grass really suits her game. And against Krejcikova today, she really proved that she's she's got a heck of a serve. I mean, we oh, already yeah. knew that at five foot five, but she wins a lot of free points on it. She, her directionals on it are extremely precise. She can hit all the serves, flat body kick, wide t, and I think that really helps her in these, um, in against anyone really on grass. And she's able to use the slice very well and set up her forehands. And uh, yeah, I mean, in this match, she definitely outplayed Krajikova in the serving department. And looks like she even she converted four out of his, four four of her seven breakpoint opportunities to Krajikova's two out of ten. Yeah, and I guess I guess um, some fatigue may have played into the way uh, Krajikova played in that second set, and Barty certainly lifted her level and the confidence that she gained from that first set. And I agree, yeah, the celebration was really emphatic and really showed that she's she's in she's in the groove again in the second week and. She really likes her chances, I think, to potentially go all the way. Yeah, and uh, I like them as well. Um, I think she also did well to sort of overcome this matchup because I don't think it was that easy of one for her. Um, Krijikova has one of the best backhands on tour, I think. It's really, really solid. She can get depth on it. She can change direction with it easily. And Barty's backhand cannot do those things. So Krijikova had sort of a money spot on court with that cross-court backhand. But Barty was able to um, use the slice, run around, hit a few forehands, and prevent that from uh, proving too decisive. So that was well done tactically. Yeah, definitely. Um, I guess now we can go on to Coco Goff against Kerber. I think this was a 
this was really a match that, in my opinion, whoever was going to win this match really had a shot to get to the final of the bottom half. Mm-hmm. And, you know, Kerber being in such great form, having won uh, the week before Wimbledon in Bad Homburg, and then having won the epic match against Cerebus Tormo and then winning her third round match for, after losing the first set 6-2 against Sasnovich. Yeah. She's, and, and then obviously knowing what we know about her at Wimbledon and that she's been to a final in 2016 and then won the title in 2018, beating Serena. And she just really seems to have found next level form. And, you know, out of basically nowhere uh, before Bad Omberg. Um, yeah. And so this is very, this is a really impressive run. I thought it was a very comprehensive performance against Coco Goff, who played well, but um, just showed that uh, Kerber is at another level in terms of experience and grass court pedigree at the moment. Yeah, it was interesting because I think 6-4-6-4 doesn't really tell the whole story. In terms of overall points won, it was 65-57 to for Kerber, which is pretty close, closer than you might think 6-4-6-4 would be. But the main mm-hmm. um, difference in this match was the serve. Uh, Kerber served at 70% compared to Goff's 56% and won at least 10% more um, points on both second and first serve. So I think that was the main difference. Um I thought it was a very clinical performance because like you said, golf played well. She wasn't at her best, but she was good. Um, her mm-hmm. game poses plenty of challenges. She has an amazing backhand. She moves really well. She served well. Hit, uh, well, she didn't really serve well, but she hit six aces. So her serve can do damage. Um, but Kerber um, was good from the back of the court, produced some ridiculous angles on the passing shot on the return and even just on ground strokes. Um, and like you said, she has played herself into some kind of form. This isn't, necessarily a new phenomenon with her right before the 2018 australian open she was pretty out of um she's in pretty bad form i think or she had been coming off injury and so she went in as the 21st seed but ended up playing an amazing tournament epic semifinal with halop and i think something similar is happening here um she's she's the 25th seed but i think she may be the most informed player left in the tournament right now and she's my personal favorite to win the title from here on hmm. Yeah, um, definitely a strong case for that. And um, in this in, in this match, it really felt like because her defense is so good and her counter attacking is so good that really felt like it was she was forcing Goff into um, hitting it closer to the lines, um, going for more on her forehand, which is an improved shot, but um, just wasn't quite able to hit through Kerber uh, mm. in big moments. And I think. Uh, I think Kerber actually really re- relished this challenge, and I think Goff uh, actually walks away from it uh, pretty encouraged as well because I think um, going through a match like this will really help her long-term, and I think she's on a really good track and steady progress. And there's no reason why she can't be in the top 10 soon and you know start getting to more of these quarterfinals, semifinals, and eventually winning a major. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think she'll be disappointed, but she did make the fourth round. She played above her seeding of 20 um she's um she's been doing really well this year like hasn't um been going super deep in a lot of events but she's been going deep in a lot of events and has just been on a really steady track of improvement um and mm-hmm. i think that's continuing so um no shame at all in this loss her forehand um did let her down sometimes i think Kerber noticed that fairly early on it was shaky and so she did a really good job of hitting to that side and breaking down golf's forehand um so i think that's something that she'll probably have her eye on for improvement going forward. But um, 
it wasn't as if she played horribly or blew a lot of chances. This just felt like she was beaten by a better player and losses like that happen. They happen a lot, especially when you have a young player. And so um, I, this is not a bad loss at all for Coco golf. Yeah, definitely not. Um, and I guess we can, speaking of, uh, well, speaking of another really, really good match that happened today was uh, Shiantek and Jabor. Um, Jabor coming through five seven six one six one. Uh, t- second match in a row, she's come back for, after losing the first set against two Grand Slam champions in Muguruza and Shiantek. Yeah, this was another really, really impressive performance from her. I thought. Uh, what did you think? Oh yeah, this was um. So I woke up early this morning, six o'clock my time, just in time to see this one, and um, and I was definitely not disappointed. I mean, Jabour was up five three in the first set, and then ended up losing at seven five, and she did not let that deter her one bit. She just came out with a crushing performance after that. Um, I mean, the score speaks for itself, but there was only really one game in the last two sets where the result felt open at all. And that was in the third set when she faced a break point at three, one, I think, but she saved those. I think she saved um, 12 of 15 overall in the match. And she converted every single one of the seven break points that she had, which is amazing. So she really dominated the big points with the exception of the end of the first set. And she just hit a ridiculously high peak. I mean, um, she was on a run of like, over a dozen points one in a row at some point, or like 14 to 15, something similar to what she was on against Muguruza. And when she's yeah. playing like this, like no one can touch her. I mean, Sviantek has a massive game. Like most matches are played on her racket because she has so many weapons, but this one was definitely not. Jabor was controlling everything. She was, um, she was returning really well. She was just hitting bombs from the baseline. And, um, and I have to admit, I thought Sviantek was going to win this one. I picked her in the Murray Musings prediction game, but Jabor was by far the better player in this one. So, like, she's another yeah. player who could feasibly win this tournament if she keeps up this level. Yeah, absolutely. And just looking at the stats, I mean, it totally re- reflects that because in the last two sets, um, the the level that she said, like, I, I watched some highlights. I didn't quite get to wake up on time to watch this. It was at 3 a.m. my time, which yeah. is just brutal. But but from the highlights that I did watch, I mean, the way when Sviantek leans into her, I mean, when um, Jabur leans into her forehand, it can really do some damage, especially cross-court. She's able to really, I mean, she takes the ball extremely early and on both the forehand and the backhand. But when she goes cross-court with it, with her forehand, it's... Not only is it heavy, it's deep, it's penetrating, it stays low on the grass, and then she has so many op- options after the f- first forehand, which puts her opponent on the defense. And Sviantek's forehand is one of the best shots in women's tennis, and she was able to really break it down. Yeah. Um, Jabor also just has so much variety in her game. Like She can hit forehands or backhands to any corner of the court, but she can also slice. She has a great drop shot, which she used sort of sparingly today. She honestly didn't really need to use it because everything else was working, but she did hit a few drop shot winners in the second half of the match. First half, it wasn't working Mm -hmm. so much. But yeah, this was just a really, really great performance. I think Sviantek will be a little disappointed. She double faulted five times. She uh, her first serve percentage was 46%, which is quite low. And so I think um, from that standpoint, she definitely could have made up a lot of ground. But I think either way, uh, she would not have won this match because Jabor just was too yeah. good. Yeah, and I mean, the Jabor variety is really second, is really something that 
I, is unlike any other player I've seen at, at the current moment on the WTA because, I mean, it's not only that she goes for drop shots, but it's the timing of her drop shots. It's when she does them. I mean, she, she has the audacity at times to go for them off big first serves and big second serves. And it's just what she does, you know, those drop mm-hmm. shots. And I think th- there might have been a big temptation today to go for it a lot more. But I think the fact that she was that she controlled that temptation and she played brilliant percentage tennis, um, as opposed to overusing the variety, I think that bodes really well for her that she's starting to find a balance between both those two things. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it also bodes well that she's been able to hit sort of god mode in both of her last two matches now that are against major champions. Um, and so I think it's it's really hard to sustain that level of play, but I think the competition and the fact that she's done it against like two opponents suggests that maybe she can um, because like really difficult environments. And yet she was able to totally play her best tennis. So like, no one's going to want to play her um, if she can play at that level again, like she can totally win this entire thing. Yeah, totally agree. And I guess uh, someone who did something for the first time today was Carolina Pushkova. She's never made the, quarterfinals at Wimbledon and now she's made the quarters at all of them and she took out Samsonova who was on a brilliant run um, had just won Berlin which was a mm-hmm. 500 before uh, Wimbledon started and she took out Sloane Stephens the round before and I really didn't know what to expect from Pushkova today I really felt like this could go either way but uh, having won 6-2-6-3 that's quite a comprehensive victory to get to come through and make your first major quarterfinal yeah, definitely. Or uh, first at Wimbledon. But yeah, I um yeah, I wasn't yeah, able to watch any of this one, but it looks like Pleshova did a really good job on the big points. She converted uh, four of six, saved four of five, won 83% of her first serve points, 10 aces, six double faults, which is not great, but it doesn't look like this one was ever that close. So, um, so yeah, like really good performance from her. And she also... Um, hasn't had great results in the last little bit. So I think she'll be loving this. Um, in the next round, she plays Golubic, who is um, no disrespect to her, but probably the easiest match left in the WTA draw. So I think she could be looking at a semifinal here. Yeah, I think she'll definitely be the favorite against Golubic. Um, I mean, Golubic has played well this tournament and uh, cr- props to her because she was down 7-8 love 30 in the third set in her first round match Yeah, and she could have easily lost that one um, and she she won that one and then now she's beaten Keys today which I also didn't really get to see um, because yeah, Madison either. Keys did well to get to the fourth round and looked like she was really starting to find her form again uh, so for her I think she might be slightly disappointed felt like a like an opportunity missed yeah, I agree. And um, and then another uh, first time we had today was um, Irina Sabalenka is in her first major quarterfinal, having beaten Rybakina uh, 6-3 in the third, which is um, a huge hurdle for her. Like, this was talked about whenever her name came up. Um, and now she's finally gotten rid of that label. And she played quite well today. Um, I only got to see sort of the second half of the third set but like it didn't look like she was hit by nerves at all. Um, when she got that decisive break, she was playing well. Rabakina didn't donate it, and then um, and then she served out the match comfortably. Uh, Ten aces, um, five for eleven on break points. The serving numbers are sort of average, but um, 
and she was broken three times, but um, she did more damage on the return. She won 61% of second serve return points, which was big. So, yeah, I think she'll be very proud of this. Yeah, ma- ma- major props to her because she uh, she's never got past the fourth round of any major before this. And so to, to, to do that against an informed, really good player on on grass and clay as, as well, and as well as hard courts uh, in Rubakina, Mm-hmm. Yeah, is that's by no means an easy fourth round match, and I really didn't get to see any of this. But it really looks like uh, Sabalenka played well enough in patches and played played well overall. If I just look at the stats to to get there, so I think uh, she'll be pretty happy. And I think you know her next round is going to be very fascinating against Jabor. That's a real contrast of styles yeah. right there. Yeah, and it does feel like one that Sabalenka can win if if she plays um like high margin offense really effectively. It does feel like mm-hmm. she's a slight underdog based on form in that one, but yeah. I wouldn't put it past her to win. So yeah, she should not um think like she's done what she came here to do, I guess. Like she can definitely accomplish more. Yeah, definitely. And I guess it's a chance also opportunity for her to also get some revenge because they played in the 2020 French Open in the third round and Jabor actually won that 6-3 in the third. Okay. So yeah, this would be this would be a good um good good clash. Definitely one that I'll be watching in the quarters. Um yeah. yeah. And then um, um we had um Carolina Mukova beat Paula Bedosa uh 7-6, 8-6 in the tiebreak, 6-4. And I didn't get to see any of this match yeah. either, but I think this result is not super surprising. Um, I think looks like it was a close match. Mukova did well at Wimbledon in 2019, made a quarterfinal, and now she's backed that up really well. So I think um, yeah. going forward, she could be sort of a reliable threat to go deep on grass. Um, I think she was down in the first set tiebreak, like 5-2 or something. I think I saw that on Twitter. Mm-hmm. So impressive that she was able to come back from that. And I think Bedosa will probably be a bit disappointed, but she's been on a really good improvement curve um, this year. She's done well on grass and clay, which speaks really well of her surface versatility. So I think she should be like disappointed, but not um, down on herself. Yeah, and uh, I'm just looking at it now. She was also down five two in the set. So oh, okay. So yeah, five two down in the set, and then five two down in the tiebreak. So I guess really. It does feel like one of those matches where the first set is pretty key. Like mm-hmm. if you lose that set in a close tiebreak, like that was the case here, eight six in the tiebreak for Mukova. Um, it does feel like you, you know, the winner of that will have a lot of confidence. So for her to, um, you know, for her to get to the fourth round of Wimbledon, and also after a really good, long, successful clay court season for her, I guess it's pretty encouraging. And uh, for Mukova, it's another Wimbledon quarterfinal. And I think she will face um, Kerber in the next round. So that will be quite interesting. Uh, yeah. Yeah, that should be a good one. And um, and correct me if I'm wrong, but I think Mukova is the only player in the WTA draw to have made the quarters in both 2019 and 2021 now. Um, yeah, I, I, that's correct. Okay, yeah. Yeah, because, yeah Bardi, um, I think, is the closest, making a fourth round in 2019 and a quarterfinal now. But yeah, yeah. That, that speaks so well of Mukuba because um shows how difficult it is to achieve that level of consistency. 
So uh, let's hope we see it more in the future. And um, and I think Kerber is definitely going to be a favorite in that quarterfinal. But um, but that's not to say that Mukova can't win. Um, so I'm excited to see that one as well. Yeah, definitely. Same here. Um, I think the quarterfinal lineup is very strong for the WTA. And I think reasonably you can make a case for, you know, mostly everyone in this draw. Like definitely six of these eight, you can definitely make a case for, I believe. Yeah. And um, and we have one last um, match to talk about, which was probably the most disheartening of the day, which was uh, um, Raducanu against Tomljanovic. Which ended in mm-hmm. a six four three zero walkover for Tomljanovic, and um, I actually didn't see most of this. I was sort of wiped out from all the previous matches, but I did tune in right before um, Raducanu took the medical timeout and ended up retiring. And in in the two zero game, it was pretty competitive. She had at least one break point. And it was so impressive because even though she was clearly in some discomfort, she was still battling and still battling effectively, like she was winning points. And so I think it's a shame that um, she wasn't able to finish the match. I really feel for her. And I hope that um, it wasn't due to the sort of stifling pressure that's been put on her by a lot of um, sort of uh, media outlets and fans as well. I think on the whole, this was a really successful tournament for her, and I hope that she can come away from it. Uh, seeing it that way and not for mainly for um, the retirement at the end. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's such a shame though, because she was on such a great run. She'd played yeah. that fantastic match in the third round against Zorana Kirstea. Um, I, wa- I watched a lot of that match, especially the match point was just absolutely incredible. Yeah. That was amazing defense. So, so I think we'll be seeing a lot much. We'll be seeing a lot more of her in the future. And um, for Tomljanovic, it's also new territory, first uh, major quarterfinal for her. So, uh, and she's playing against Barty, so she'll probably be the underdog in that one. But um, it's uh, it's a great result for her to beat Ostapenko and then now uh, Renekanyu. Yeah, yeah, and um, and she also did a really good job, I think, managing this match physically. Um, I was reading that they had some very physical rallies in the first set. And they started to take their toll on Raducanu by the end. I think there was a really long rally at Deuce at 4-5 in the first set. And Tomljanovic didn't mm-hmm. really have any physical dips. And while, like you said, Barty is probably going to be the favorite, Barty has gotten sort of shaky at the stage of majors before, and Tomljanovic is in form. So I think that could be an upset. I wouldn't bet on it, but it could be. Yeah. And also, do we know exactly what the injury uh, was? I've heard. No, that we don't know yet. Stomach- um I saw on Twitter that concerns. we're not going to see a statement from Raducanu today, and she didn't do press. Um, I assume we'll find out in time, but yeah, for now, I just hope that um, that she's doing okay and isn't just traumatized by the whole thing. Yeah, definitely. She it definitely had to have been serious because she she went off the court for a timeout. So usually, it's pretty serious uh, mm-hmm. in that case. Um, but nonetheless, it was a pretty exciting and crazy. Uh, Manic Monday definitely had its highs of, definitely had a lot of highs in it, and I'm really enjoying this tournament overall. Just so great to have Wimbledon back after um, after missing it last year. And uh, yeah, um, is there anything else you'd like to add um, as far as today's concerned, Owen? Um, no, not really. It was um, it was a it was a great day of tennis. It was nice to see um, a lot of the great tennis, but. 
like we said in the beginning, I'm happy that this is the last Manic Monday for the first foreseeable future. Who knows if um if they really need this day to rest the grass in the future, it could come back. But yeah, I think um it was a good way to go out. Uh there were some good matches, there were some battles, upsets, um, feel good stories. So yeah, and looking forward to the WTA quarterfinals tomorrow. Yeah. I guess, Same um, here. And... I guess really quickly, would you want to make picks for those? Um, we don't have to go into um, rationale or anything. We can just uh, make picks. Sure. Yeah. So if we look at tomorrow's uh, order of play uh, for the quarterfinals uh, on the women's side, um, Jabor against Sabalenka is really fascinating for me. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm having a hard time really confidently picking a winner in that one. Um, and I had said before, like Jabor had won the last meeting um, in, at the French Open. Yep. But I have a feeling that um, Sabalenka can hit a gear um, that Jabor might not be able to match. Okay. Um, and for about it might only be for about twenty or thirty minutes, but that patch just might be enough to get her over the hump this year. And uh, yeah, uh, she is the number two seed. She has she has definitely made a step forward this year um, by reaching her first Grand Slam quarterfinal. And Jabor, it just kind of feels like um, you know backing up. Muguruza win and then Shriantek win and then doing it the very next day against uh, Sabalenka seems like uh, I mean it wouldn't shock me if it happened but I'm slightly leaning Sabalenka in that one in three sets Okay. what about you? I've got Jabor in that one I actually um, disagree with you about peak level I think so far this tournament Jabor's peak has been higher than Sabalenka's from what I've seen. Um, And she's Mm -hmm. been able to reach an area where she just blows her opponents away, where Sabalenka has sort of had to battle a bit more. Um, But so I have Jabor coming through that Mm -hmm. one. And then um, I'm just going to run through the others because I've thought about this a bit. I have um, Pliskova winning. I think um, Golubic has been on a great run, but I think Pliskova has won her last round comfortably enough that she'll be confident and she has much more experience. I have Kerber beating Mukova I, because I think she's so in form that um, I have her as the favorite against anyone at this point. And I have Barty winning. Um, although that like after um, the Pliskova match, that's the one I'm the least sure about. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree with the other um, picks. I also have Kerber coming through against Mukova. I have Barty against Tomljanovic as well. And I think Pliskova is in great form too. So I think I expect her to beat Golovich. Um And then I also agree with you that um, Jabor has, uh, has shown a much higher peak level this tournament and Sabalenka's kind of just been battling her way through these matches, mm-hmm. um, like the one against Katie Bolter and then today uh, as well. Uh, but in terms of overall, like oh, since yeah, yeah. 2020, since the end of 2020, like since that loss to Jabor, um, I think she's shown she's shown a really high peak level, like consistently. 
Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, as I mean, opposed to Sabalenka like, has been this the better player. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah, it is an interesting question, sort of a uh, overall pedigree versus recent form. Um, yeah. But yeah, I, I think Jabor is just on such a hot streak at this point that um, her momentum's not going to stop. But yeah, yeah I'm well, I'm excited to watch. Same, yeah. I'm excited as well. And it should be a really good day tomorrow. All right, yeah, that's that's all from my end. Do you, do you have anything else? Um, well, I, I would just, uh, I would just like to say that it was really fun to, uh, to recap the day. Um, it's not very often that we get to talk about 16 matches that actually happened. Yeah. And so it was, uh, it was great to get your insight on stuff that you watched as well as stuff that I watched and we could kind of bounce off on each other. And it was, um, it was fun. I look forward to doing more in the future. Yeah, you too. Um, your st- your stats and uh, memory is as good as ever. Uh, I learned a lot from this, as usual. You always say about a dozen things that I don't know in the podcast. So, um, so like always good to be continuously learning. And yeah, looking forward to the next one. Thanks. I appreciate the flattery, Owen. <laughs> yeah, of course. I mean, um, like for, for yeah, all the listeners, I have to say it because we're co-hosts. Um, I don't really mean it. I'm kidding, but yeah. <laughs> Yeah, no, just gotta butter me up. But I guess, uh, I guess, yeah, no, I, I would, I would say the same. Like, it's really fun just, um, just chatting with you because I, you definitely know, you definitely know your stuff, and you watch very closely, and you're, um, you're, you're up early watching all the matches, and so it's, it's great to, um, chat with someone who has passion and enthusiasm for the sport, just like I do. Thanks. Yeah, and likewise. Yeah, so um, that about does it. I guess you can follow all of the action on the TNNS app. Um, look out for more updates. Um, you know, um, subscribe on iTunes, on Apple Podcasts if you haven't already. Um, check out check out all of the great work. Um, that check out all of our recent podcasts that we've done. We've done quite a few um, recently, including a collaboration that we did with Murray Musics, which was actually pretty. Uh, which turned out pretty great, and I wasn't in it, but I but it was uh, from what I what I hear from Owen, it turned out exceptionally well, right, Owen? Yeah, that was a lot of fun, and looking forward to having you on the next one if we do it in the future again. Yeah, would love to. Um, so yeah, uh, everyone enjoy the rest of the tennis, um, and we'll be back with more episodes. Right, thanks. Bye. Yep. Bye. 